since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. I'm going to jump straight in. And I'd love, I've got a question for you to begin with. What should the Christian life look like? I think we've got side things. What does the Christian life look like? What should it look like? What can it look like? And I think this is a question that speaks to every single one of us in some way. Maybe you're here and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, but you're here because you're interested. You're curious. You're, you're looking in. If you become a Christian, it will change your life and you need to know what it will look like. Maybe you're here and you're a new Christian. You've just started. You've just got to know Jesus. And you're wondering what the shape of your life will be like. Perhaps you're here and you've been a Christian for a while. You're a seasoned Christian. You've been around the block a bit. And you want to know if you've made the right choices. You want to work out what the Christian life really looks like. And confusingly for us at the moment... Christians disagree about this. Probably one of the most controversial questions in our, in our church today, in the culture today, why in the British church today, is what the Christian life should look like. And the question we need to ask is, who do we turn to? What do we turn to? What should the Christian life really look like? This is the situation that the church in Corinth is facing at the time of 2 Corinthians. Uh, this is a church that's planted by Paul. You can read about it in Acts. It has a number of issues which are talked about in 1 Corinthians, but by the time of 2 Corinthians, the second letter we have, there's one key issue that's dominating the church. And it's a group of men known as the super apostles. They've moved in to the church. We don't know very much about them, but all we do know about them is in this letter of 2 Corinthians. We can tell that they're in some sort of Bible teaching ministry. And in that Bible teaching ministry, they love anything dramatic or glamorous or spectacular. They love the limelight. They love standing at the front being mic'd up with the Britney mic. This is a new thing to me. I don't usually get this. Um, and they love to grab the attention if they were on social media, they'd be all over it. Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, you name it, they're on it. These are people who want a platform. And they want to grab the attention. And the Corinthian church loves them. 
They can't get enough of them. They want to hear more from these super apostles, these really glamorous, really impressive people. Paul, however, the apostle, has some concerns. These super apostles are teaching the Corinthians to live in a way that the Lord Jesus didn't call them to live. They're calling them to adopt a different Christian lifestyle that's different from the real one. And to help us, I've got here a 500-pound note. The super apostles' view of the Christian life is a bit like this 500-pound note. Really useful in a game of Monopoly. If I went to go over the road to buy a bag of chips, useless. I'd probably be laughed out the chippy for trying to pay with a 500-pound Monopoly note. But that's their view of the Christian life. It's a bit like this note. But Paul has another note for them, another view of the Christian life. And this is a real one that I got given in a shop. It looks less impressive. It's only a fiver. Not crispy anymore, I'm afraid. It's plastic. But this is the real thing. If I were to walk into the chip shop, hopefully I'd get a bag of chips for it. I know they've gone up quite a lot recently. But hopefully this is real money. It actually is worth something. It will do something. And to show us this real note, Paul is taking us into his personal life. If you like, 2 Corinthians gives us almost like little extracts of his personal diary because he's an apostle. He lives the Christian life. And from his own experience, he's telling us what it looks like. That's what 2 Corinthians is. And returning to this fiver, the way you can tell it's a real one, it's got loads of holograms on it. So it's got like a see-through bit with a big Ben. There's a, there's a queen there. Bank of England, five pounds. Bank of England again. You know, you've got lots of little things to tell you that this is the real... Oh, there's another one there. Another hologram there. These are all the ways of telling that this is definitely a banknote that you can use to buy a bag of chips. And Paul does exactly the same thing in 2 Corinthians. And in our particular passage, I'm going to point out to us three holograms that show us what the true Christian life is like. Remember the banknote. The first hologram is that the Christian life gives us a realistic view of ourselves. Start of chapter 4. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Chapter 3 tells us that Christians have a ministry that is full of the Holy Spirit, bringing freedom and righteousness to anyone who believes. In our passage, we're told that we are Christians with this ministry through God's mercy. If you're a Christian here this morning, the only reason you're here is through God's mercy. Paul is being really honest about himself. He, when in becoming a Christian, he had to renounce secret and shameful ways, verse 2. He doesn't use deception. Paul is remembering a time when he was dishonest, and he's now saying that I'm honest. I've changed. He's free to be honest about just how messed up he is inside. I know all of us here have that sense that we're not perfect. There's a bit of us that we don't want to show the world. Being a Christian has enabled Paul to publicly write in this letter to a whole church. It's through God's mercy I have this ministry. I've received God's mercy. 
The Christian life does involve change. Unlike the super apostles, Paul's not trying to show off, saying how good he is. He's actually saying how bad he's been. The mercy of God enables us to be very open with each other about our strengths, but also our weaknesses. We can be incredibly honest with each other. And this radical honesty means we don't have to lie. It's very easy to lie, isn't it? As I was prepping this, I was really challenged. Paul here is realistic about who he is. And he's also realistic about what he does. End of verse 2. Nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. In sharing the gospel, Paul's not trying to do anything impressive. The super apostles are gifted speakers. They're good orators, they used to call them. They have the great flourishes and the big fancy words. They try and win people by, by smoke machines and light and clever videos. But Paul doesn't do that. He's talking in a way that real people can understand. He's using simple words, speaking plainly. I know a number of people in this church are involved in Sunday school or home groups or one-to-one Bible reading. There are a number of people doing this. I think Paul's saying to us that when you share, when you talk about Jesus, when you open the Bible with other people, you don't need to use big posh words. You don't need to sound clever. You don't need to use the big, fancy theological phrases you get in theological textbooks. You just need to tell them the truth. Paul speaks so clearly that the people who hear him have no excuse in their response to God. True Christianity does not just offer, though, a realistic view of ourselves. It gives us a realistic view of the wider world, and that's our second hologram. The Corinthians might be wondering why Paul never really drew in a massive crowd in the same way the super apostles did every other week. Paul tells them why. He is clearly presenting the truth of the gospel in verse 3. And he tells us that it's veiled to those who are perishing. Those perishing are those who don't yet know Jesus. And they can't see it. It's been veiled. Who by? Someone with a very dark and sinister power that goes about unseen. There is more to this world than we can see. There is an evil power behind it. Paul calls him the God of this age. The rest of the Bible calls him Satan. And verse 4 tells us that Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The reason more people don't follow Paul is that someone is stopping them. It's nothing to do with Paul, it's to do with the one stopping them. These are people who can't see. They can't see who Jesus is. 
I know all of us know people who aren't Christians. I do. You do. These are people who can't see. Rather than get on a moral high horse and say just how terrible you are, let's have some compassion on them. These are people who can't see. Elsewhere in the Bible, we do read that these are people who choose not to see. If you like, it's a voluntary blindness here. If I were to take my glasses off and then put it on the pulpit and catch the 73 bus into Bristol, I'd have chosen to be blind. I can't really see anyone's face at this point. I think I can just about see Neil. See Neil. But behind that, I can't see anyone really. I have to peer. That's what people who don't know Jesus have done. They've taken off their glasses and caught the bus. They can't see. It's a voluntary blindness, and it has a terrible effect on the world. Satan doesn't simply stop people seeing. He also guides them with false descriptions of the world, false directions. Have you ever played like a game where you've blindfolded someone and deliberately got them to trip over something? I used to all the time. It was great fun. Satan does that. And rather than give them a bump or a bruise, he does something much darker. It starts off with the small white lies, but it grows bigger. And we can see some of the signs. If you look across at Ukraine, if you look at Gaza, at the appalling things done by human beings to each other, you will see that there is a God of this age who is blinding eyes. Back to the passage. Unbelievers can't see that Jesus, the loving, gracious, and compassionate Jesus, the one who is strong and kind, is now also the risen Lord of the universe. And he's worth serving. He's worth committing your entire life to. Verse 5. Serving Jesus is a joy. If you're here and you're not yet a Christian, you're still exploring, you're missing out. Worse than that, verse 3 says you'll perish without him. Please, don't leave this building without talking to someone about that. There'll be people here who will want to talk, tell you about Jesus. So far, we've looked at two holograms. True Christianity gives us a realistic view of ourselves. It gives us a realistic view of the wider world. And so far, it's so dark, so bleak so miserable. But brothers and sisters, there is a third hologram. True Christianity gives us a realistic view of God. Have a look down at verse 6. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. In this verse, Paul is deliberately reminding the Corinthians of the beginning of the Bible, where God said, let there be light. He's reminding them that yes, there is a God of this age who's blinding people's eyes, but there is a real God, a more powerful God, who invented light itself. And Satan can't compete with his creator. The world is not balanced between good and evil. There is a powerful good that 
defeats any and all evil. And this should fill us with great hope as we realistically look at this dark world. We don't have to be like Eeyore. Remember Winnie the Pooh with Eeyore? I don't think I've ever seen Eeyore smile. We don't have to be like that. We can walk with a spring in our step because God is going to bring a brand new creation in this world, starting with people's hearts, starting with the hearts of those who already believe, starting with our hearts. True Christianity gives us a realistic view of God. And these super apostles who are trying to take the limelight, who are trying to grab the microphone, they're taking the light away from God, the one who brings salvation, the one who brings rescue. The true Christian life uses the microphone to show people Jesus, to show people the glory of Jesus. And that's because the true Christian life comes from Jesus. And if I'm going to be very specific, it comes from His cross. The cross gives us a realistic view of ourselves. It tells us that we need God's mercy because we're sinners and it's serious. The cross gives us a realistic view of the wider world. The wider world crucified the Lord of light. It could not see past a naked man hanging there in agony and shame. It could not see the Son of God pouring out His life for the sake of anyone who believes, anyone who trusts Him. The cross then gives us a realistic view of God because the cross shows us that God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is committed to rescuing His people. So much so that He would come down to earth. God the Son would come down to earth to have His heart broken, to have His body broken for you, and for me. And it's this commitment to giving life that makes God call Jesus glorious. It's one thing to be very powerful and very impressive. It's quite another thing to give life. And that's what Jesus does. The true Christian life springs out of the cross because that's where we see the face of Jesus most clearly. That's where Jesus reveals most about himself. Meanwhile, the super apostles are not bothered by it. They might talk about the cross, I suppose. They might have a few songs that refer to it. They might have it in their new membership class, perhaps. But it hasn't moved them. It hasn't really changed them. It's an add-on. It's not central. That's why they don't have the holograms. 
That's why if I was to walk into the shop with a 500 pound note, it wouldn't do anything. That's what the super apostles are, are doing. And actually their view of the Christian life is wrong because their view of the gospel is wrong. Their view of Christianity is completely wrong. And Paul is using 2 Corinthians to warn them. To warn them that this is the real money. This is the real thing. So which version of the Christian life are you going to choose? There are super apostles out there today and they're offering you the 500 pound note. They will tell you lies about what to do in your relationships. They will tell you lies about what to do with your money. They will tell you lies about what to do with their time, your time. They will tell you lies. But there's also a real Christian life that's actually worth something, that actually does something. And that is what Paul is inviting us today. This is what Jesus is inviting us to to buy into, to take, to take the five-pound note. And so the question is, are you going to make friends with this real world? Or are you going to take the monopoly money? Which one are you going to go for? I started by asking, what does the Christian life look like? The Christian life looks like a cross. It looks like a cross. It's shaped around the cross of Jesus Christ. One of the first Christian books I ever read was called Living the Cross-Centered Life. The author, a man called C.J. Mahaney, who I think has actually preached from this pulpit, once, maybe. He's been here. He understood it. Will you embrace this Christian life, finding truth and hope beyond your wildest dreams? If you're already a Christian, will you continue? Will you continue to live this real life with a realistic view of ourselves, a realistic view of the wider world, and a realistic view of the living God? Let's pray. Abba Father, we praise you and thank you that the Christian life centers around the Lord Jesus. Thank you that he is completely glorious because by his cross he offers life to anyone who believes. Right now, Father God, in this room, fix our eyes on Jesus, on his cross and the life he calls us to live in light of it. Help us not to listen to the super apostles of this age. Help us instead to choose the real Christian life. Grant us all wisdom, we pray. Amen.